Well, we're going to start just by reviewing some from Philippians. So we're going to read, it's going to be a lot of verses today, but the good news is the main point is exactly the same as last week. So if there's a lot, that's okay. If you get the main point from last week and didn't get it last week, then hopefully this week it'll sink in a little bit. And even though there's a lot, there's one main thing. So we're going to look back, and I'll remind you what that main thing is. I'm going to say it just a little bit different than I did last week, but it's basically the same. It's that Jesus, death on a cross, is an act of costly love for others that is not just how we're saved, but it's the pattern for our life. I'll say that one more time. Jesus... Death on a cross is an act of costly love for others. That is not just how we're saved, but it's a pattern for our life. And so, we're just going to kind of skip around in Philippians and hit some of the verses that we've already talked about that highlight this. And so we're going to start in chapter 1 and then get all the way to the end of chapter 3 by jumping around starting in Philippians 1.7 Philippians 1.7 says you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel kind of confusing there uh, 29 1.29 For it has been granted or gifted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. Jump to 2.17. We're skipping over the Christ hymn which explicitly says, Christ died for us and we should have that same mindset. But jumping into 2.17, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Jump ahead to 3.8-11. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of their surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, finally, our text that we're really going to talk about today, 3.17 through the end of chapter 3. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, Walk as enemies of the cross, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, 
with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. All right, that was a lot. But the reason I wanted to do that is just to see that we have seen through all the chapters Paul saying that difficult things uh, are grace, are gifts from God. And he's saying that it's been gifted or graced or granted to you not only to suffer, not only to believe, but to also to suffer for Christ. And then he says, engage in the same conflict that I have, that you saw that I have and I still have. So he's saying, you have this gift. It's the gift to suffer for the sake of Jesus, and it's just the same conflict that I'm in too. And that relates to 317 to the end because that's exactly what he's saying there. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. We talked about how what he means by imitating is I'm imitating specifically his death on the cross and looking forward to the resurrection that he had. And so Paul is saying suffering is an, for Christ is an opportunity, it's a gift. And he specifically, as he's walking in his daily life, he's seeing these difficulties as opportunities for others, to pour out his life for others. He's seeing not just difficulty in his life, he's seeing the pattern of the cross over his life, and he's living into it and identifying with it. So much so that when he talks about his life and his sufferings, he says things that I wouldn't necessarily say. Things like, if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you. That sounds a lot like Jesus' death, doesn't it? Poured out as a drink offering, a sacrifice for others' faith. And so he, as Paul, is living his life, he's suffering and he's imitating the cross. And as he's walking in it, he's kind of, you remember those old, well, I know a lot of you don't, younger college kids probably don't, but my age and older, they used to have these transparencies and they didn't have computer PowerPoints. They had these transparent piece of papers and the teacher would write in marker on them and you could lay one on top of the other. And, and that's exactly what Paul's doing with his life and Christ's life. He's got the, the cross pattern of humbling, self-humbling that leads to resurrection and then he's laying that on top of the picture of his life. And he's seeing, wow, I'm living that same pattern. I'm laying down my life for others out of love, costly love. And one day I'm going to be resurrected. And he's seeing those together so much so that when he describes his life, he's using Christ-like sacrificial language to do it, it's, which is pretty amazing. And not only that, he specifically says, you know, like we talked about last week, that he talks about he's actually sharing in the sufferings of Christ. He's not just saying... It's, I'm suffering like Christ. He's saying, I'm sharing in the same sufferings he had. He suffered for these people, and the body of Christ, and I'm doing the exact same thing. And, like we said last week, made some pretty radical statements. Like, I'm filling up what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ. And all those things we said last week, basically, I don't know how to understand them, other than to see this cross-shaped life to see that what we said, the main point is, the cross is not only how we're saved, it's the pattern for our life, and we're imitating Jesus. And that means costly love. 
And as we walk into it, we think, explicitly think, not just that Jesus is going to get us through, but we're walking in his footsteps, and we're going where he went, and we're imitating him, and he's there with us. It's a long review, but it's important. And so we get to 17. Let's start there. Brothers, 317. Join in imitating me. We talked about how the specifically imitating him is he wants to be like him in his death and know him in his resurrection. So this cross-shaped life. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So who's that? Not just imitate me, keep your eyes on others. Well, think about the progression that we've had through Philippians, just a big overview that we just went through. We even skipped some parts, but they all fit into this idea. We skipped over Christ as an example, the Christ hymn, which David kind of covered from Philippians 2. And then immediately after that, he goes into two examples of people who live cross-shaped lives, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy counts his own interests above, he does not seek his own interests above those of Jesus Christ, but he's concerned about others. He's concerned he puts others before himself. That sounds very much like Jesus in Philippians 2. And then Epaphroditus literally lays down his life and almost dies for the sake of Paul and the gift to the Philippians. And so these two, these others that he says, others walk according to the example you have in us. Who are these? Who's this us? It's probably referring to Timothy and Epaphroditus and you might just remember that when this was read, I don't know, I think we're on week 14, they read it in 15 minutes. And so it was more clear, all these connections, I think, because they just went right through it. Uh, whereas we covered that like a month ago or something. So harder to see the connections there just because of how slow we're moving. So we're imitating Paul as he imitates Christ and others as they imitate Christ. Verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. He's setting up this contrast. I'm imitating the cross. I'm living the cross-shaped life. So are Epaphroditus and Timothy. The cross is not just how you're saved. It's a pattern for our life. There are those who aren't like that. They're enemies of the cross. He could have said enemies of Jesus enemies of God, enemies of the gospel, but he specifically said enemies of the cross of Christ. He's contrasting Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus with these enemies of the cross. They're going in a different direction. What's the different direction? The cross says humble ourselves. Enemies of the cross glorify themselves. You see that their glory is their shame. Different focus. Paul's saying we're looking forward to eternity. I'm I'm looking forward to the resurrection. He says that just after this, we're citizens of heaven. We await a Savior who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. He's not focusing on the present sufferings. As he's going down the slope of the cross-shaped life, he's looking up knowing that I'm going to hit the bottom, but one day I'm going to be raised again with Jesus. The same way he, yeah, Jesus died on a cross, but that wasn't the end. He was resurrected. And I'm going to share, as I share in his sufferings, I'm going to share in that resurrection too. And so the focus is, is 
not now for Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. It's eternity, resurrection. Whereas the enemies of the cross have a now and a present focus. They're focused on now. What, what, are, what do I want now? So much so that the, it says their end is destruction. They're so focused on the now. The, whatever I want now, my God is my belly. Whatever I feel like I want, I'm going to just go for that. Even if that means in the end, looking ahead, I'm destroyed. Their focus, the enemies of the cross are focused on now, the present earth. They're not, they don't have a God. They don't have God in their thoughts. They have a different authority. The cross-shaped life, our authority is God. God is our God. Whereas enemies of the cross, their belly is their God. Their desires are their God. What do I want today? What would make me feel good today? What do I feel like doing today? What makes me comfortable today? And that is their God. That's who they obey. They obey their desires. This is wrong, but I want to do it. I know it hurts other people. What are you going to do? Are you going to obey Jesus? Or are you going to obey your passions and your desires? The enemies of the cross have a different authority, totally different gods. And that's, that's scary. It's a, it's a scary thing to make your belly your god. And then, and then last, they have different values. Others first for the cross-shaped life. You're saying others are first. I'm going to put others before myself, just like Jesus. Enemies of the cross put self first. Their minds are set on earthly things. Their glory is their shame. You know, you could see this in the world. Their glory is their shame. There's many people who are proud to step on others all the way up to the top. And in the end, they're proud to do it. Look at me. Yeah, this so-and-so. And even laugh. Look, I took advantage of this guy. Ha Look what I got. That's their glory. To step on all the little guys all the way to the top the opposite for the cross-shaped life we're we're going to put others first we're going to get under people we're going to do as much as we can to serve others we don't want to step on others all the way to the top our glory is to get down and humble ourselves not to exalt ourselves our values are others not self not what not what do i want not my belly what does god want what's good for others so, like I said, this is a lot, a lot, a lot. But almost all that was review from last week. And I showed my wife my PowerPoint, and she laughed. I said, she said, this is too much. I said, well, at least it wasn't all in one week, <laughs> like I was going to do last week. So, now we're going to think. We're basically... This sermon outline is basically a circle. I'm just going to say the same thing over and over and over in different ways, and hopefully one of them gets through to you. And that's, if just one, uh, I hope that would be helpful to you. So we're going to do the exact same thing, talk about all the same things we just talked about, except we're going to do it in a more systematic way, and we're going to look at what does it really mean to live a cross-shaped life? What did Jesus do on the cross that we should emulate. And so I've got a chart. And there's so much here 
There's so much here. The top left corner says, the cross is an act of costly love for others through, the first one uh, says love for others. That's That almost should be in the top, but I couldn't figure out how to make it perfect. So all the others that make sense, you could fill in the next word. The cross is an act of an act of costly love for others through grace, through sacrifice, through self-giving, a lot of these others that we're going to go through. The, all under the general heading of costly love. All of them are costly love. And I'm pulling out verses. The left-hand column is a verse about Christ's death and specifically what the Bible writers are saying it was an example of. So let's just do the first one. Love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. John fifteen thirteen. God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The death of Christ is an example. The cross is, is an example of love. Now, the right-hand column is Paul's imitation or our imitation, our call to imitate. Now, the reason I put both those together is because Paul is saying in these verses in Philippians, imitate me, and what what am I doing? I'm living the cross-shaped life. So he's saying both, imitate me, but when you're imitating me, what you're really doing is imitating Jesus and his death on the cross. So there's a mixture there. So this love that Christ has for us is not just the way we're saved, although it is that. It's something for us to imitate. Ephesians 5, this is the right hand column on the top uh, section of love. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So you see the two parts there. You see, here's what Christ did on the cross. He loved us. What's our call? Do that. Imitate that. Love others like that. You see that in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2? It's a specific, here's the cross, here's what it meant, now you do it. And what it's saying specifically is the cross was an example of love, now you love like that. And that's what all these verses, we're just going to do this for all these different subheadings. The Bible over and over and over and over says, look at the cross, look what Jesus did, and it doesn't stop there. And then they say, and you do that too. Imitate Jesus. Imitate his death on the cross. The next one is grace. The cross is an act of costly love for others through grace. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for many died through one man's, one man's trespass. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by, by the grace that one, of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The death of Jesus is an example of grace. Remember, grace is a gift. It's a free gift. It's giving someone something they don't deserve. Giving someone something better than they deserve. The cross is an example of costly love through grace. It cost a lot for Jesus to die on the cross. And what was he doing? He was giving us all a gift we didn't deserve. That's how we're saved. We're saved by Jesus' costly love and gracious gift of himself on the cross for sins. And then we don't stop there. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, Accordingly, we urge Titus, he's talking here about a gift. Uh, remember the word grace means gift. Sometimes it's even translated gift. So he's talking about a gift that he's wanting to send to needy churches. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he had, as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So you see the context there. The cross is a costly act of love that freely gives. Jesus is freely giving to others. And what does the Bible say? It says you should freely give. Look at the cross. Look at this free love that God is giving. It cost him a lot. Grace. It was a, it was a costly act of love and a free gift to others. Now you do that. Just like he was rich in heaven, sitting on the right hand, no suffering, became a man, humbled himself. That was costly, and he gave a gift to you. You to be like that. You have grace, just like Jesus showed on the cross for others. Freely give, just like he freely gave for you. Cost him something. Give, even when it costs. Next slide here. Obedience. The cross is an act of costly love for others through obedience. Become, becoming obedient, this is about Jesus, to the point of death. The cross is an act of costly love through obedience. Do as I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. In the context, Jesus is talking about obedience. Here he's going to the cross, and it's an act of obedience. It's costly. It's love, and it's costly, and it's through obedience. What about us? John 15, 10, 12 through 13. This is the right-hand side. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is my commandment, that you will love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Just as Christ was obedient, we ought to be obedient and obey his command. What's the command? To love. What's the context there? Well, the context is Jesus preparing his disciples to go and die on a cross. Obedience is costly. If you look at the cross, you see a picture of love that's coming through costly obedience. It costs Jesus enormously to become a man at all. You know, we've said this before. If Jesus wanted to become a man and live in a tower 100, you know, floors off the ground and never set foot on the dust, that would have been an infinite humbling just to be a man and never have to be around sinners at all and live in this high tower and never talk to anyone, never be inconvenienced by the cares of the world. That would have been infinite humbling because he's God. He didn't do that. He didn't live in some high tower and everyone said, up there's Jesus. That's God. He came down to be with us. 
That would have been infinite humbling. But he did more than that. He came down to walk among us, to get dirt on his feet, to let people spit in his face and then to die on a cross. That was costly. Obedience. What obedience? What an example of obedience. And if God calls me to obey and it's costly, it, you know, maybe it's you confront someone over sin and they get mad and you know they're going to get mad. Or maybe it's at work. You have to make this decision. This is wrong. I've got to obey God and not do this. It's going to make my life so much harder. If I don't, if I don't copy out of the books because I know it's technically not right, you know, uh, to photocopy a book, but the school will only provide me with one book, that's going to cost me something. It's going to make my life much more difficult. But is it obedience? Is it what God wants? And we walk in it. We walk in obedience. Even if it's costly. Let's go to the next slide. Oh, no, sorry. I missed one. Sacrifice. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. He's a sacrifice for us. The cross is a picture of costly love through sacrifice. Very similar to the gift. If you give a free gift, it's costly. It is a sacrifice to you. This is highlighting the other side. It's something has to be sacrificed. What about us? Not just this is what Jesus did, but look at the cross and his sacrifice, and now you be like that. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's the same verse that we talked about with love, but highlighting the other word in there, sacrifice. Be a sacrifice for others because Jesus was for you. Look at the cross and be inspired and be thankful and look and see Jesus died for me. That was a great sacrifice. And then imitate. I want to live like that. I want to be an imitator of God. I want to love others even if it means sacrifice, even if it's difficult. Next slide. There's a lot here. Self-giving. The cross was an act of self-giving. The Lord Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God, will of our God and Father. Galatians 1, 3, and 4. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I can give you this, uh, by the way, I can... I can give you this PDF so you don't have to worry about this. And it looks a bit nicer uh, altogether. And there's a back coming, so don't, you're not, there's a whole other side, so a lot to write down. Um, no worries. It's self-giving. It's not just a costly sacrifice. I love this quote from, I think it's Thomas Watson. If all the angels in heaven tried to make one purse and put all they could into it, all value they could into it, to purchase one soul, they couldn't do it. All the angels in heaven tried to just have enough to redeem one sinner. They couldn't have done it. That's how costly a sacrifice Jesus' death was. And not only that, it says, and this is the second part of the quote, 
I hope I'm not misquoting it. Um, I may be mixing two quotes. Oh well. Um, the second part of the quote is, God could have, God could have made a thousand other worlds, but He only had one Son, and He gave Him for you. God could have made a thousand other universes like this with the word of His hand, with the word of His power. Let it be. Boom, a million other universes. But you know what? He only has one Son, and that's what He gave for us. He gave Himself. God gave Himself. He could have given something else costly. It's not just a costly sacrifice. Just There's a lot of costly sacrifices where you don't give anything of yourself. right? I mean, you write a check, you can write a check, and you're not giving yourself. There's something different there. A costly sacrifice that involves the gift of yourself. And that's what God gave us. Himself. He gave himself. And what about us? Look at this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. Marriage is, is a picture of self-giving. You're giving yourself. You're not going to be a good husband if you do all these other things. You, you show grace. You give, you know, you're giving, you're giving uh, things that your wife doesn't deserve. You sacrifice. You go to work. And, and you stay late because maybe your wife wants to buy the organic chicken or whatever. <laughs> And it's, you know, it costs more, so you got to work more, and that's okay. And it's sacrifice. You stay a little bit later at the office. But you don't give yourself. You never come home. You never spend time talking to your wife. You never pour your heart out to her, you know. It's just giving other things. You miss something. And there's people. There's, there are people in Kirksville, and you know what they really, really need? They just need you. They need you to care and sit down and talk to them. And that's self-giving. And listen to them. And, and, and that may be something that nobody else can give to them. May, you may be the person in their life. And that's a big deal. It's the way Jesus was. Jesus gave himself. And we can give ourselves. Is it going to be easy? No. The people that need it the most probably are going to be the most difficult to really give, you know, give yourself time, energy, attention. Even, you know, friendship is a mutual thing. It's, you know, mutual self-disclosure. It's not just going to be you going and, and you know, solving all their problems. You know, it's going to be a friendship, which means you tell somebody, hey, this is what's going on in my life. This is what's difficult. This is what my kids are doing. And that's costly. It's a costly love. Aren't we thankful that Jesus did that for us? He didn't just send down a check to pay for our sins. He came down. And that's what we needed, isn't it? We need a person. We need Jesus to be a man. To relate to God, just like David was just talking about. We need a person. And he, gave, he came and he gave himself for us. Praise the Lord for that. Let's give ourselves for others. For our wives, specifically, this verse says but for others, too. Suffering. The cross was an act of suffering. This is very similar to sacrifice, but it's slightly different. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. Now what about us? For to this 
you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. Look at that word also. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. It's going to, there's going to be suffering. As we follow Jesus, it's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. But we look at him and we look at what he did. Yeah, it's hard to do this. Whatever obedience, love, self-giving I'm doing right now, it's causing suffering. But you lay on top of that, that clear sheet you know, that your second grade teacher used, and you see on top of your suffering, Jesus' suffering. You see, Jesus suffered too. And I'm not alone. I'm following him. This is for him. I want to be like him. I want to be with him. And I'm, I'm going to be one day. And so the cross is, is an example of suffering that we ought to follow in. Self-humbling. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. This is very similar to what we talked about earlier. Jesus didn't have to become a man and walk among us. He didn't have to become a man at all. He could have He could have said, I don't want to become a man and redeem these people. I just want to stay in heaven. And yet he did. He humbled himself all the way down to getting, letting people spit on him, kill him. Now look at Paul. This is Paul. So this one is specifically Paul imitating Jesus, 2 Corinthians 11. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? That sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Humbling myself that you might be exalted. Because I preached to you God's gospel free of charge. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. He's saying, look, I humble myself for you so that you might be exalted. That sounds just like Jesus, just like what Jesus did. Jesus humbled himself that we could be exalted. We want to be like that. Paul imitated it. Let's imitate Jesus in that. Let's humble ourselves. There's an opportunity to humble yourself and that helps somebody else. Let's do it. Let's do it, not just to do it. Let's do it because we're looking at the cross and saying, this is how Jesus saved me. This is how Jesus treated me. Jesus got down beneath me, and he lifted me up. He humbled himself so that I might, not, that I might know God. Now, now what? Let's do that too. If there's an opportunity to humble yourself and, and, and in that way lift somebody else up and point them to God, help, help them. Do it. Humble ourselves. So that is quite a few ways that we can just specifically think. Not just the cross in general, but what to, there's more that we could do. Uh, we, had, we already probably did too many in terms of time. But this is what the Bible writers say specifically. This is what the cross is like. This is what Jesus did. And then they say, not only that, do that too. Be like that too. And so it gives you some concrete examples and some things to think about, to chew on. And you can't do every one of these all the time or even hold them all in your mind. But you can begin to see the pattern and and follow it. If you have some of these categories in your mind. Um, Let's quickly contrast this. I think the next slide is a different color. We're just going to really quickly contrast this with the enemies of the cross, and it's just the opposite. All the verses um, that I would say tie into this are the ones we talked about already from Philippians 3. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory is their shame, and their minds are set on earthly things. 
Every single one of these things could be tied into one of those statements or multiple. Rather than, rather than, than living the way we just talked about, the enemies of the cross, because they're focused on self and comfort, and they're seeking um, that comfort, they avoid the costly, painful acts of love. Because you're focused, the enemies of the cross are focused on their self and their own comfort, they avoid the painful and costly acts of love rather than love their selfishness. It's about my desires. Love is about putting others first rather than pouring out our lives for others because the enemies of the cross are focused on self, comfort. They avoid painful and costly acts of grace. It's more about getting than receiving. It's, I want, my belly wants to be filled. I want to get. I don't want to give. I want to get. Totally different than Jesus. I want to give. I want to give. I want to give. Sacrifice. They avoid sacrifice. Preserving their life now because this is all there is. And in the process, they end up losing their life. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Instead of making his God his belly, actually deny himself and his desires. Take up his cross and follow me. Forever would save his life, will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Instead of pouring their life out, sacrificing, laying it down, saying, it's mine, I'm going to keep it. I don't want to sacrifice. Self-giving. Instead, of giving yourself, enemies of the cross, avoid painful and costly acts of giving yourself for the sake of others and focus on receiving. Same verse we just talked about. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Not save our life, give our life. The enemies of the cross do just the opposite. What about suffering? Enemies of the cross avoid suffering and seek comfort. A cross is painful, let's not take it up. My belly doesn't want to take up a cross. My body doesn't want to be nailed to a tree. I don't want to do things that hurt. I want to get out of there. Somebody's causing me pain. I want to get I want to be gone. I'm done. I'm done with this person. I don't want to do this anymore. That's that's what your flesh wants. It's natural. It's absolutely natural. But we're denying that. Denying ourselves and we're going the unnatural route because Jesus went there for us. Jesus suffered for me. Self-humbling. Instead of self-humbling, they're self-exalting. Their glory, they want glory. And their glory is actually their shame. We talked about that. You step on others to get to the top, the world will exalt you. If you can get on Twitter and you can say some terribly harsh things to people and make them look stupid, people will exalt you. It's like, wow, that's hilarious, that's funny, that's great. That's horrible. That's not glorious. You know, that's shameful. It's actually your shame. Rather, we should humble ourselves, not exalt ourselves, not glorify ourselves, and put others down. Do just the opposite. If we humble ourselves and put others up. And obedience. Enemies of the cross, their God is their belly. That means I'm going to obey my desires. What my belly wants, what my flesh wants, what I feel like I want today, that's what I'm going to obey. If I don't want to do this, I'm not going to do it. If I want to do this, I'm going to do it. Whereas we want to obey Jesus, even when it goes against our desires. 
So let's apply this. We can you can turn this off here. There's a lot, and probably should have listened to my wife and maybe cut it in half one more time. But let's apply this. It's really hard. This takes a lot of wisdom. Let's just acknowledge this is difficult. And I'm gonna tell you a funny story here to start. There's a guy named David Platt, and he's written quite a few books, and almost all of them are about like how rich Americans are and all the poor and suffering in the world and and Jesus, you know, how Jesus loved people and poured himself out and, and basically don't live the American dream, which is basically your God, your belly, like I want to get, I want to be exalted. And don't do that. Live live different for Jesus. And so you can imagine how much like pressure, psychological pressure you would have if you're not wanting to be a hypocrite and you wrote all those books. It's like the verses on money scare me, period. I didn't write a book on how you really, really need to give, but they scare me, you know. Imagine if you wrote a bunch of books about it. So anyways, he's he's scared of being a hypocrite, which is good. And he wanted to live like Jesus. He wanted to, he saw Jesus poured himself out for others. He sacrificed. He didn't just take all the money, you know, that uh, and time and energy that God gave him and just spend it on himself. He poured it out to others. And so he talked to his wife, and they wanted to downsize so they could give more and get a smaller house instead of getting a bigger house, and which is great. The hard part is applying this to the specifics. This isn't easy and obvious. And so here's the story. He finds these houses, you know, that they're going to downsize. He finds this house. This is the house I'd like, you know, to look at. And he brings his wife. Come on in. Let's get this house. It's really cheap. And they walk in. It's got a mold problem, serious mold problem, and it smells terrible. That's why it's cheap. And his wife runs out of the house and throws up in the yard. You know what? If he had bought that house to be like Jesus, he would have messed up big time. That would have been wrong. He, he wanted a good thing. He wanted to sacrifice to be able to be like Jesus and to give more and to love people. But you know what? He forgot the verse about uh, if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. You remember that verse? And their story is actually a 180. You know who was being like Jesus? The wife, just by going and being there. It's like she's being so patient. It's like, here's my husband. He's wanting to live in a terrible part of town. He's wanting to get in this house where we're literally all going to be sick. We're going to spend more going to the hospital than we did save, you know, by selling the house. And she's patient. She's going, and she's bearing with him, and she's happy that he wants to be like Jesus. And she's also telling him we can't live here. You know, I just (laughs) threw up in the yard. And so all that is to say this. It's hard to apply this. Does this mean you should downsize your house? No, I don't, I don't know what this means. You are going to have to be creative and prayerful on how to apply this. There's a thousand ways you could apply this, and I don't know how God wants to, to apply it for you. And there's a lot of ways to mess up. There's a lot of ways to, to, to maybe do something out of guilt uh, or something rash. And, and in the end, it wasn't wise. It wasn't like Jesus. And so... And just acknowledging, this is difficult to do. When is the line? You know, I'm not saying, <laughs> one of the brothers said, it's not spiritual just to let somebody punch you in the face. You know, basically, not all suffering is redemptive suffering. You can duck. If somebody's going to punch you in the face, you can just duck. And there's times to do that. But you've got to have wisdom to know. And it's, and it's hard. It's not easy. If you're in an abusive situation, I'm not saying stay in it. Because that's what Jesus would do. He suffered for you. 
you need to pray. There, there's times where you just, you get out. And that's okay. And God's pleased when you seek him. And there'll be other opportunities to suffer like Jesus. But you've got to have wisdom on which ones to take. It's hard. It's not easy. There's not a cookie cutter answer. I'll give you a couple of bad examples, okay, uh, of people that have tried to apply this and have really messed up. Uh, I read a, an account of a Catholic uh, priest, and they would whip themselves with phone cords. This was in the 80s in the U.S. Think about that. In the 80s in the U.S., there were Catholic priests who would whip themselves with phone cords on their back because they were suffering like Jesus. That's not suffering like Jesus. That's not out of love for others. It's just suffering. It's not wise. That's not, that's not pouring your life out for others. That's hurting yourself. It's just, it's not like Jesus. Where's the love? Where's the obedience? Not, there's not obedience there. God didn't say to do that. You've got to ask and have wisdom. Uh, not all suffering is redemptive. Not all suffering is what God wants. Jesus avoided getting arrested and killed repeatedly. But there was one time where he obeyed, when the right time. And so it takes wisdom, and it takes God guiding us, doesn't it? So we just want to acknowledge that. Another example may be, you know, you feel guilty. You think about money. I think about money in those verses. They're strong verses about money, and it's scary. And my reaction is, I better just give some money, like real quick, and then I'll feel better. Well, that's not love-motivated. That's guilt motivated. It's like, I, I'm scared, fear motivated. I'm scared. These verses say, if you love, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through a needle. I better give some money. Well, where should I give the money? How much should I give? I need to pray and seek God and actually ask God, would you help me do this in love for others? Not just out of fear. Um, and not just do it on a knee-jerk reaction. I want to do it out of obedience. God, how much do you want me to give? Where do you want me to give? Help me. It's different. You see the difference? Um, it's going to take wisdom. We want to prayerfully and creatively live this out. Just because it's hard doesn't mean we give up. doesn't mean we don't try. Just because other people have done things in the past, took this idea about suffering and, and ran the wrong direction with it, doesn't mean we don't try. And we pray and we ask God, help us. Would you please help us to live out the life of costly love, obedience, self-sacrifice, giving, self-giving, grace. Uh, we, we need help. Would you help us, God? It may be doing the dishes for your wife. I've used this example before. Early on in my marriage, I, it was a struggle for me. Like I would lie on the couch, and I would hear, Honey, from the kitchen, and I would know. Basically means I need some help. And I didn't want to get up off the couch. I'd rather just lie down on the couch and rest after a day of work than get up and help. And it takes time. You've got to talk to yourself. This is costly. I'm giving something up, something valuable. But you know what? Jesus died for me. I can get up and help my wife. And you know what? I want to get up and help my wife because I love her and because I want to be like Jesus. And you know what? After you say that to yourself, you know, work through that in your mind, uh, I just, for me, it took me a minute because I, I didn't want to do it just out of guilt, but I wanted to, God, would you help me to want to help? Not just do it because I felt like I had to, but I want to. Would you give me the right heart? Cheerful, I want to be a cheerful giver. But after, you know, a hundred times, 
It, I actually like helping around the house. I like, I, I like it now. You know, it's not, it's, it's something that God has changed in me. And there's a lot of things that he hasn't, but that's one example where he has. And I want to see those examples. And, and really the reason that it changed was this idea of the cross-shaped life. Yeah, it's going to be costly. Yeah, it's, it's going to cost me something. No, I don't want to do this. But you know what? It's an opportunity for me to be like Jesus that I'm thankful for. There's a thousand things like that. We need, creative, we need to creatively apply this in all of our lives. I'll give you one more example. Not, I'm giving an example from my life just because I only have one life, not because I'm like super living the super cross-shaped life or something like that, um, just to make that clear. But when I was a teacher, I would do this thing based on this idea of the cross-shaped life. And whenever the kids were the worst, the worst they, they ever were, I would have a gift ready and I would give it to them when they were terrible. And I'm talking about, I'm talking about really terrible. I'm not talking about like normal, un, the classroom's not great today. I'm talking about like 13 on a 10 point scale bad. <laughs> and I would give them a gift. I would give them a gift that I paid for, you know, the school district didn't pay for with my own money, which is costly. And it's an opportunity of grace. They don't deserve it. They were terrible. They, you know, whatever they did that day. Lots of different examples. And I would write whatever it was. I remember one specific time. There was two girls, and I gave them both a journal. They looked like to write and draw, and they had all these pens or whatever. And I wrote in there, you know, a little note, and I concluded in there, grace means getting what you don't deserve. And uh, I wanted to get this for you, and I hope it means something. And it was an opportunity just to give them that, and here's a literal example of grace. You don't deserve a reward right now. You deserve punishment, a lot of punishment. <laughs> but I'm giving you a gift, and I'm telling you this is what grace is. Grace is when you don't deserve a gift, but somebody's giving it to you because they love you. And I couldn't do that very often, or they would just run all over me. <laughs> so I only did it once for each student <laughs> because they would tear me, eat me up alive. <laughs> so you have to have wisdom. But things like that. And I don't know that that did anything, but at least I was trying. I was thinking, God, help me. And the reason I did that was I think I was imitating somebody else, and I can't remember who it was who did that with their kids, who their kids were terrible, and they would say, I make sure one time to do, when they, my kid does something really terrible, I take him out for ice cream, and I tell him, this is what God, this is how much God loves you, this is what grace is like, and I'm not going to do this again, just so you know. Because <laughs> there's all the other commands, you know, about you know, disciplining your kids, but I want you to know what grace is like. And, you know, so in that way, imitate somebody else who's imitating Jesus. And there's a thousand things like that. I bet you have some great ideas, and maybe you're already doing things like this with your kids. Like, I want to hear it. Like, you know, I want to hear your how you're doing it, and I want to imitate you. And um, with my kids, with my wife, Whoever, you know, people in our neighborhood. Maybe you're good. Actually, you know what? You know where I could use some help? With my neighbors. I see my neighbors. I, I say hi. I'm not very good at living a cross-shaped life with my neighbors. I know their name. That's it. You know, do you do something creative, you know, where you love your neighbors like Jesus? Like, tell me. I'd, I need some help, you know, in that. That's one area I really need some help for sure. I don't know what you're doing, but just something to think about.
the Lord has called us to not just be saved by the cross, but to live a cross-shaped life, to imitate Jesus. We need help. We need wisdom. We need to creatively apply this as we ask God to help us. We need to imitate others who are living the cross-shaped life. And we need to look forward to the resurrection. This is the last thing, and then I'll close. That's how he ends it. These are all hard things. They're not easy. It's, I mean, just listen to what we're saying to people. We're saying, here's Jesus. He's out there in the garbage dump, dying on a cross. Don't you want to be like that? Don't you want to give love people when it costs so much? Don't you want to give people things that they don't deserve? That cost you? Don't you want to sacrifice? Don't you want to give yourself? Don't you want to suffer for others out of love? Instead of exalting yourself, don't you want to humble yourself like Jesus? Don't you want to obey God even when it costs and when it's painful? These things are hard. This is not easy. We're not saying this is the Christian life is not easy. Jesus was warning us. He's saying, take up your cross. He's saying, it's going to be hard. This is not, I'm not going to say this is going to be easy. But I've done it first, and you can follow me, and I'll be there with you, and I'll help you. That's what we want to do. And as we do it, we look to the resurrection. You know what? One day it's all going to look like just a few few difficult things that are gone, that are past. We're with Jesus. All the suffering is gone. And you know what? We're going to be so thankful. If one, if we live our whole life pouring our lives out for other people and it hurts every day, or some days hurt more than others. There's a lot of good days. But it hurts. It's not easy. But in eternity, we know Jesus. We're like Jesus. And other people are there because we poured our lives out. It's going to be all be worth it. Absolutely. Beyond what we could ask or think. God is willing to help, and he's already given us an example that we're following. We're not blazing the trail. We're going behind. So we're thankful for Jesus, for what he did, and we want to be like him. We want to know him. We want to be with him. Let's pray. Jesus, we just come to you, and we need you. And we do want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for the cross. Thank you for what it cost. Thank you for every ounce of suffering, every difficulty, every moment of your life on earth, every way you humbled yourself. And we just confess, I just confess, this is not, this goes against everything in me. I don't, I want me to be exalted. And um, my comfort, and I need help. I need help to be like you. Would you help? Would you help all of us? Grace isn't um, natural. We need help. Would you help me? Help us with our kids. Help us with our neighbors. But we want to be like you, and we're thankful. Thankful you gave us an example. Thankful you gave us your spirit that makes it possible. Thank you for washing us with your blood. We need you today. Desperately, desperately need you. Help us. Amen.